Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you this morning? We good? So my name is Matt, and if you've brought a guest with you this morning, you've probably already elbowed them a little bit and said something similar to this. Hey, this is not the guy that I was telling you about. <laughs> and that is true. I'm probably not the guy that they were telling you about. Uh, our pastor, uh, senior pastor Danny Anderson is on his way back from Nicaragua right now with his family. Uh, they've had an incredible week spending time with a team from here, Emmanuel, uh, doing some incredible work down there. And I have no doubt he'll be back next week to start off a new series and tell you a lot about that as well. But it might be helpful if I introduce myself a little bit, uh, and uh, both for you and for me, so you can have some clue about why in the world I would be up here today. You know, the first thing you should know is that uh, I'm the spiritual development director here at Emmanuel, and I actually get to, uh, the incredible opportunity to lead a team of eight. And I think we've got a picture of my team here. Oh, these are my babies. Aren't they cute? So this team is your spiritual development team uh, at Emmanuel. If you're a first-time guest and you fill out a connection card, if you've engaged in a small group, if you've had biblical counseling, uh, and many other things, also uh, if you've engaged in our mission work, You've worked with one of the folks on the team here at Emmanuel. Uh, it's a joy and an honor for me to lead this team and also to serve with Jenny and Rachel and Danny on our leadership team as well. An absolute honor of mine to serve you. Now, I should also say that I'm a dad of two and a husband of one. Uh, she's in the front row, so I've got to be careful about what I'm saying this morning. Uh, but here's a family picture of us. And I swear there was more hair in that picture when I gave it to him. Uh, this is my incredible uh, and amazing and super patient wife, Jen, and our little guy, Graham. Now, he's got a big brother in heaven, and I'll talk about Leo in a little bit. But Graham, I should tell you, is a full three years old, a full three. So for those of you that are parents or grandparents, aunts, uncles, or you know children in general, you are quietly writing a prayer request down for me in your notes uh, this morning, and I would definitely appreciate that. Uh, I think right now he thinks I'm on, uh, I am uh, singing on the big stage. Uh, be very glad that I am not singing right now, okay? Uh, but that's a little bit about me. Now, I'm also incredibly excited to welcome you here this morning because we are doing something brand new here at Emmanuel. You may know that we are a multi-site church, which means we are one church in multiple locations. In fact, we have three campuses, and for the first time ever, we are having live pastors preaching at those campuses this Sunday. So join me in saying, welcome to a first. Now, now for those of you that are here this morning, it might not feel very much different for you, uh, but typically on Saturday evenings, there's a camera in the middle back there, lots of reserved seats here so nobody gets in the way, and we record the talk on Saturday night, and we provide that talk via video at our Franklin and Banta campuses. But this morning at Banta, the campus pastor, uh, Bill Miller, is providing the same talk to his folks. And Greg Koble, our campus pastor at Franklin, uh, right now is providing the same talk there at Franklin. So we're excited to try something out new for you. And I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you're challenged here this morning. Now, when Greg, Bill, and I got together to start thinking about what it is we were going to follow up Easter with, you know, it did not take us long until we had this simple thought, man, we love our job. We are incredibly honored to be able to, to work for you as the body of Emmanuel. And yet, it also got us thinking about some of the tougher jobs maybe that we've had in this world, some of the dirtier, uglier jobs. So for a second, I just want you to consider maybe think about the toughest job that you've ever had. 
the ugliest, the toughest job. Now, for a lot of you right now, you're actually thinking about the work, right? The tough work that you had to do. Maybe you worked outside. Maybe you uh, put roofs on houses for a living, whatever it is. Now, for some of you, you're also thinking about people right now, those terrible, tough people that you had to work with. I'm going to reel you back from that a little bit. Let's not get too much into that. I want to reel you back because we're talking about jobs this morning. And you know, when I think about, uh, in my life, the experiences that I've had with hardworking people, you know, in my previous job, I actually had the, the, uh, the chance to spend some time 350 feet underground. This is a chunk of 100% bituminous Indiana coal. Congratulations, you now have a geology lesson for this morning. Very hardworking men and women, and I have a picture of them here this morning, dig this out of the ground so that when we flip these switches, these lights come on. That's a tough, tough job. Digging coal, mining coal, that's a tough job. Now, you know, we're in church, so it's probably valuable we talk about the Bible. So as Greg, Bill, and I were thinking about these incredibly tough jobs, we started to think about maybe some of the jobs in the Bible that we don't often hear much about. You know, uh, you may have seen the movie Evan Almighty. Maybe you've read the, the story of Noah and the ark. They're actually building a life-size ark about 100 miles south of here, actually. But you know, the job of Noah and his family was to build the ark. And we know that God had provided to Noah and his family two of every kind of animal on the earth. And they took up residence in the ark uh, during the, the flood. But I'm going to throw a fun fact at you for a second. Let's just imagine that two elephants, for example, two, con- two, two elephants, a male and a female, were on the ark. Did you know that an adult African elephant produces 300 pounds per day of, you guessed it, <laughs> poo? Dung. An elephant produces 300 pounds per day of dung. Now multiply that time two, that's 600 pounds per day. It's a miracle in itself the ark didn't sink. All right? But hey, some of the tough parts about that job we never get to hear about. And the, 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 this theme, the idea that people had work and jobs to do, is not just contained in the Old Testament of the Bible. As you go forward, we see that Jesus himself was a man that worked with his hands. Now, we translate that today as that he was a carpenter. The men that he approached to become his disciples to, to help lead that ministry, they had jobs as well. In fact, he approached fishermen. He approached uh, a tax collector. Uh, he approached even one that we know as Simon the Zealot. We would translate that today as someone who is a political operative or revolutionary. How about that for, for a gang? But these guys had jobs. But today we're actually going to focus on those disciples because the job that Jesus gave them is important. Important for all of us. Important for all of us after Easter. Because as believers, we should all be asking ourselves this question. Now what? Now what? Now what do we do? So we look at the experience of the disciples we're going to spend some time digging in this morning because what we learn from them is important. And here's what's true. Jesus approached ordinary people and he gave them a new job. A new job, additional responsibility to what they had had before. You know, what's interesting about the job of a disciple is that the job of a disciple starts with an invitation, not an application. The job of a disciple starts with an invitation, not an application. 
You know, today, if you or I were, were interested in a job, right, we would pretty, start, pretty ourselves up for an interview, we would file an application and go in and prove that we're valuable enough to do the work. And if we're lucky enough, they'll choose us to work that job. Not true for a disciple. And in fact, this invitation is captured in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is how Jesus approached some fishermen. He said, come follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. As fishermen, this made sense. Weird to fish for people. But we know that they dropped their nets and followed. It's an invitation. So what happened when they accepted the invitation? Well, we know as we read along in the New Testament, they got to see Jesus build his ministry. They got to see incredible things with him. They saw him feed thousands with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. He would teach those same thousands. And then he would spend dedicated time with his disciples, explaining to them the mysteries of what he was teaching to the thousands so they understood what it was he wanted them to know. Now, what we know after last week is that after three years of ministry with those men, Jesus dies. He's tried for crimes he never committed. He's placed on an instrument of torture in the cross, and Jesus dies. Now, what's incredible is the hope that we celebrate last week, that he was resurrected. This resurrection that we talk about not only gives us hope for the life eternal, but also gives us hope for an abundant life that he promises us while we're still on earth. And you know, after he he was resurrected, he spent some time with his disciples, further sharpening them so they would understand what he was all about. But then he left. He left. But just before he leaves, he gives the disciples a new mission, new responsibility. He says this, carry on my ministry. Jesus tells the disciples, carry on my ministry. What's great is that we see what this actually looks like. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus tells them what he means. He says, go, make disciples of all nations. Say it with me. Go, make disciples of all nations. You see, Jesus in this moment is amending the job description of a disciple. He says, hey, hey, the job up until now has been to follow me. Learn from me. Let me teach you. Let me show you what the kingdom of God is all about. Now he amends it, and he says, it's not just about becoming like me, but it's about going and helping others become like me. Now, if I was to approach any of you in the crowd today and say, hey, Chris, yeah, hey, Chris, uh, go and make disciples. Now, some of you would have that same anxiety, maybe, that the disciples had. You know, the disciples, after Jesus dies on the cross, they run. They run and they hide in fear behind locked doors because they were in fear for their lives. They had just seen their teacher, their friend, murdered. And yes, Jesus comes back and he instructs them and he gives them hope and he makes sure they understand the value of the resurrection. But then he says, go. So I'd say, hey, Chris, go. Anxiety is something we probably would experience. You know why? Because there's a great tension that exists in every single one of us as believers. This tension that is, 
yes, I can, I can show up on a weekend. I can soak these things in. I can, I can read in the Bible and soak those lessons up for me. And I know I can have a better life when I do that. I know when I apply the teachings of Jesus inside of me, my life becomes more peace. I have more patience, more joy, more kindness. Those things are valuable to me. But yet all of us get nervous about that little going out part, the amendment to the job description. You know, it's interesting, these reasons that we all have. Some of you would look me right in the face and say, man, look, you, you, you don't understand. I've only been around this church thing for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. There's no way that I could help somebody else along their journey with Jesus. Some of you would say, hey, man, look, I, I had this sin, and this sin controlled my life, and yet I came to Jesus, and you know what? That sin is still just stuck to me. I just can't seem to conquer that sin. Some of you would say, look, if you knew my past, whew, you, you would never consider asking me to go make disciples, to go help someone else in their journey with Jesus. You have, dude, you have no idea. Consider this for just a second. Of the three guys that are giving talks this weekend at Emmanuel's, campus, Emmanuel's campuses, one of us struggled in a marriage and is divorced. Another of us is a convicted felon and spent two years in a federal penitentiary. The other of us, the guy that you're looking at, spent the last 10 years working in politics, most of those as a lobbyist. Look, if God can use the, these guys, God can use any of us. You know, we sang a song a little bit ago that just punched me in the face. It said that God has chosen us in the womb. And you know, Jesus actually approached his disciples he approached them when they were anxious and they were uncertain that they could do the work that Jesus had sent them out to do. In John chapter 14, he tells his disciples this when they come to him. He says, I tell you for certain that if you have, say it with me, faith in me, you will do the same things that I am doing. In fact, you will do even greater things. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. So, so, a partner in the creation of the universe is saying that I am going to do greater things than he is? You know, is it possible? Is it possible that we've underestimated what God can do in us, especially in the lives of those around us? Is it, is it possible that we underestimate that? You know, Dan Spader is a guy we rely on a lot here and uh, for our small groups. And we rely on him because there are lessons that he teaches in this book called Four Chair Discipling that are valuable. They're valuable at understanding the, the way in which you help other people become like Jesus, the job of a disciple maker. He said something in his book that partners with this idea that I want to share with you this morning. He says, I personally believe the greatest grief that we bring to the heart of Jesus is our lack of what? Faith. In what he wants to do in and then through us. You know, some of us, we translate this and we say, look, man, you don't understand. It's just, it's, just, it's tough. Uh, it's just tough. We, I can't do this. Some of you are literally waiting for Jesus to come down from heaven right now and present you with a diploma of life. You are waiting for Jesus to say, congratulations, you have gotten just enough things right that you can help your fellow believer in their life with Christ. Congratulations, here is your diploma. And he wants to take a picture with you, Right? some selfie with Jesus that qualifies you to then be helpful for other people. Let me just share with you this morning, this is not going to happen. When we have faith 
in what Jesus can do in and through us, things begin to change. And as believers, this is our job. Our job. We must make disciples. We must make disciples. Now let me encourage you just for a second, because there is an answer to how in the world do we do this? And it's looking at the experiences of the disciples. It's looking at how Jesus encouraged and taught them. So you want to get into it this morning? Let's get into it. Let's dig in. The first thing that we have to do is that we must spend time with God. We must spend time with God. Now, I know you might have heard that um, if you've been at church once, twice, three, four times. But if it's new to you, this is vital to our job as a disciple of Christ. We must spend time with God. In John chapter 12, Jesus says something about what it means to be a disciple. Here's what he says. He says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am. You know, this word follow here is important. Follow me. The Greek translation of this word is not the same that says, hey, hey, follow me, I'll show you how to get to McDonald's. It's follow me, I have something to teach you. Join me in a journey. Walk in my footsteps. And this verse says two things. It says anyone who wants to be. Being a follower of Jesus is a choice. It is a choice that we make. It is an acceptance of the invitation that he offers all of us. This verse also shows that it's a commitment. Follow me. Disciples, followers must follow me. That's commitment. It takes day in and day out commitment. But Jesus also says we have to be where he is. Now, how in the world do we be where Jesus is? Last time I checked, he's in heaven (laughs) waiting to come back. So how do we be where he is? Well, I'll tell you what, we can actually follow the example of Jesus. We have a perfect example. In Luke chapter 5, it's recorded how Jesus stayed connected to his father. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's recorded that Jesus would spend time every morning taking himself to lonely places and praying. Now, some versions of the Bible use, instead of lonely, they say, withdrew to the wilderness, Now, I am not encouraging you that if you need time with God, that all of you have to bury yourselves in the woods, okay? That's not what I'm encouraging here this morning. But it's important to consider that Jesus would withdraw from everything else in the world around him, all of the people, even his own disciples, to spend time connecting with God. That's important. And you know what? The same is true for our marriages, our relationships in general. My wife sits in the front row this morning. You know, I could very easily say something like, you know, I know a lot about my wife. Interesting that Jesus never said, hey, just learn some stuff about me, read some stuff about me, you'll be okay. You'll be perfectly fine. Just just learn enough about me, show up on a Sunday morning, learn some stuff, maybe plug that into your life and you'll be fine. He does, that, that's not the instruction of a disciple. The same is true in my marriage. It's easy to tell you that I know some things about my wife. I know a lot about my wife. I know that if I walked into the bathroom this morning, and let's say I ran out of deodorant, which I did, I'm going to smell like cucumber melon all day. <laughs> and that's true of me this morning. If you get close enough, it's, it's, it's actually not terrible. 
I can also tell you that I know about her in the way that I walk into the bathroom after a shower, a while after a shower, and I'm going to find a hairdryer that I have to roll up and put under that vanity every single time. Now, she's fighting the urge right now to come up here and say, I never thought I'd have to clean up so much facial hair in the sink every single time. But we can know about each other. We can know about our spouses, our friends, our family. That is not the same as knowing them, understanding what makes them tick. I date my wife. Sometimes we're lucky enough to not have a three-year-old with us. But I dedicate intentional time, dedicated time with my wife so that I can truly understand who she is and what she is all about. That is the same that Jesus expects from us. Do you want to get to know him? You want to spend time with him? Then you've got to be dedicated in the time that you spend. Some of us need to just be good about getting lonely. It's hard enough for us. Some of you right now are having a hard time putting your phone down. But it's leaving everything of this world to spend time. Now, how do you do that? Well, we're crazy about the one year New Testament around here. In fact, we give it away for free for people that decide to make a decision for Christ. We give it for, for free because we know that when you pour into uh, God's Word, you begin to see what it is that His heart is all about. You begin to see how His heart bleeds and loves you, bleeds for and loves you. So we'd encourage you, pick up your Bible five, ten minutes a day to dig into what He's all about. For some of you, you may have heard uh, our pastor, Danny, talk about uh, a devotional a devotional is simply a, a nugget of Scripture with some additional thoughts to help you challenge yourself during the day. He spent some time each morning while he was in Haiti a while back doing just that. Some of you, again, need some solitude in your life. You need to be lonely so that you can understand what he is. Whatever it is, a disciple's job starts with spending time with him. The second thing, the second thing is we've got to be intentional in our relationships. We must be intentional in our relationships. And this morning I want to challenge you, this is about the people you surround yourself with. It's not, it's not a crazy idea to say the people that are around you impact you. In fact, in Proverbs chapter seven, uh, 27, Solomon, King Solomon, a man who had everything the world could offer and yet still sought the wisdom of God, said this. He said, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, for some of you reading along in your notes, like good boys and girls, you've discovered the typo of the week. Because it says in your notes, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend man sharpens a friend. Now, some of you work in the world where communications matter. I will tell you, and first of all, we love our communications team. Ten sets of eyes didn't catch that, so we thought you'd enjoy that this morning. Congratulations, those of you that are OCD. Uh, you've discovered the one thing this week that's a typo. Uh, but this idea, this is not new. This is certainly not new. And what's interesting is that even uh, professional motivational speakers today use the same idea, making lots and lots of money. In fact, Charlie Tremendous Jones, how's that for a nickname, Tremendous? I think I just want to be called Matt Awesome Randall from now on. <laughs> but this guy, is, he's a famous motivational speaker, and he's done great work in the last 20, 30 years. But he says something that's incredibly true for us today. He says, you will be the same person you are in five years, except for two things, the people that you meet and the books that you read. Now, we've talked about what kind of books are valuable to be plugging into your spiritual life, okay? But the people that you meet are incredibly important. 
because they will challenge you and help you grow in Christ, and also it provides opportunities for you to partner with others who might be a step or two behind you and your spiritual journey to help them move and grow. And you know, the Apostle Paul actually talks about this when he writes a letter to the church of Philippi, and he encourages them that this idea surrounding yourselves with other believers is important. And this morning we're going to use a version of the Bible called The Message, uh, and it's a, a message, it's a, it's a version that takes the ideas that are captured in Scripture and paraphrases them in, in ways that it might make more sense in modern English language. So you may have heard this idea before, but let's take a look at the way it's said here, because I love it. It says, if you've gotten anything out of following Christ, anything at all, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in community of the Spirit or being around other believers means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. You see, this idea is why we do small groups around here. It's why you've heard us say something like, look, circles are better than rows. And it's truth. It's absolute truth that we believe that, yes, can you experience what God wants you to learn and how to apply it to your lives? Can you experience that in a row? The answer is yes, you absolutely can. And we encourage you, come back, fill these rows every week because it's valuable. But we know that spiritual growth happens best in the context of a group, in the context of a circle, a smaller group of believers so that you can get together in your small group like I will tonight. And someone will say, Matt, I had no idea what you meant when you said that. And another person in the group will go, you know what, actually this applied to my life in this way. The same is true for the disciples. Jesus invited them individually, and yet he expected them to work as a group, in community with each other. And Paul says it right here. This is how you do it. As believers, we must be intentional with who we surround ourselves with. And that's the question for you this morning. Are you intentional? Are the people around you helping you grow better in Christ and providing opportunities for you to help sharpen them in Christ? You know, Paul goes on right after this statement that leads us to number three. We must serve others. A disciple, a disciple maker must serve others. Right after these verses in one and two, Paul follows it up with an encouragement because he understands that when some of us believers get together in circles and smaller groups, sometimes our head seems to go like this. It gets a little bigger. Sometimes we try to set ourselves apart from those around us because we seem to know it better than anybody else. And Paul addresses this right on its face, and he says this. He says, don't push your way to the front now that you've got this spiritual community thing. Don't sweat, sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. And here's the thing that he says that's important. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Paul says, look, look, this community thing is not just about you. Yes, you challenge each other, you grow each other in your walk with Jesus, but this is not just about you. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You know, this is not a new idea that Paul throws out. He's simply following the example of Jesus. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this about himself. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, what's fascinating about this statement in Mark chapter 10 is that Jesus is saying this as he prepares to make his trip to Jerusalem, his final trip. 
knowing that his trip to Jerusalem would mean his death. And even in that moment, Jesus says, guys, 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 this is not about me. This is about you. This is about others than myself. And you know, when I say we must serve others, you know, some of you are expecting me to say, grab a towel, we've, we've got babies for you to rock in the nursery. Some of you men out there are scared to death that I'm going to ask you to rock a baby right now or change a poopy diaper. Because when we talk about serving in the church, a lot of times we get this idea that it's, it's something that I'm just going to have to lend my time to. Now, let me be perfectly clear for just one second. Rocking babies and changing diapers is an incredibly important thing that happens around here. Did you know it takes 300 volunteers every single weekend to make the space and time for you to come in here so that you can learn about what Jesus wants to talk to you about that day? 300 volunteers, every single one of them doing something that's important, something that 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us about how we should be serving others. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Whatever gift you have received. Now look, is time one of your gifts? Absolutely. If you have time in your life, that's a valuable gift. If you have additional margin in your budget, as we would call it in Financial Peace University, then yes, that is a gift that that, uh, God would encourage you to use to serve other people. But what we see here is that this is not just about time. It's not just about money. It's understanding something important about service to others. It's understanding how God built you. You. The skills and talents that He has built inside of you. Some of you, it's even the education that you've been allowed to obtain in this world. Some of you, that's what it's all about. But the skills, the talents, the experiences in your life are just as valuable in serving other people. You know, my friend Bryce is on camera one tonight. Bryce is in my small group. Bryce is volunteering to serve this church by operating a camera. He's a guy with a technical brain who had some experience working with some stuff like that before. And he said, you know what, look, God has built me this way. He approached the production team and said, hey, I'd love to be trained how to work a camera so that I can serve this body on a weekend. And he's doing that right now. That is a valuable service to this body. But you know, for me, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Do I have education? Sure. Do I have skills and talents? Maybe. Some of you that play soccer with me would say no. But my experiences in life, the life that God has allowed me to live, is a valuable part in how I'm able to serve others. You see, I said I'm a dad of two earlier, and I am. Our little guy Graham's three years old. He's crazy. I've already told you that. But his big brother Leo is in heaven right now. At 19 weeks, my wife and I learned that Leo wasn't going to make it. We're in a doctor's office, and when you hear those things, nothing in your life trains you to deal with that. So at 19 weeks, we made the decision that we were going to cover it in prayer. We were going to dedicate time in our lives to spend with God. And we prayed for basically two things, both together and independently. We said, look, God, whatever it is that you would have done here, do it. 
But selfishly, we also said, hey, if you could give us some peace with whatever it is that you're going to do, we'd love that. And I will tell you, Philippians 4, peace is a real and tangible thing. Some of you may have been around long enough to have heard me tell that story. We had also surrounded ourselves with people that cared about our walk with Jesus. In fact, we were leading a small group at the time. And in those five weeks after that 19 weeks, we didn't do much leading. The people around us encouraged us and loved us and poured into us in ways that were helpful and helped us maintain and grow our place in our relationship with Jesus. And at 24 weeks, we lost our little boy. We got to spend five incredible minutes with him in his time here on earth. Amazing. But it crushed us. It crushed us, like it would any of you. But even in the midst of that, it did not take long for us to realize that that story, Leo's story, was not just about us. That God was going to use it in a way we didn't even know. You know, it didn't take long for a couple to be placed in our small group. A couple that was new to the church. They'd moved to the area. They were brand new to the area. They got placed in our small group. Daryl and Meredith. In fact, they were here last night. They drove up from Louisville. Sadly, they had to move away. But you know when they were in our small group, they began trying to have a baby, and they struggled with infertility. Now, was it valuable in our experience? Absolutely. We were able to love on them in ways that only we could. Because God didn't use a talent. He didn't use my skills. He didn't really even use much of my time. But he told me this life that he allows me to live, the failures, the successes, the tragedies even, are valuable in serving others for Christ. If you're going to be the disciple and the disciple maker that Jesus wants you to be, that is required of us for those of us who accept the invitation to follow, that's what it takes. Intentional, dedicated time with God. Surrounding yourselves with the right types of people that will encourage you and grow you, and having an open heart to serve the people he puts around you in this life. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wraps this up. He wraps this up in one verse, and I want to share it with you because I think it's important. Now, I could have just shared this verse, talked for a couple minutes, and let you guys go for the week, maybe. (laughs) Maybe that would have been a quicker way for you to experience Sunday morning. But it's incredibly valuable because it wraps everything up. He says this. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, being a a disciple, being someone who follows Jesus, is about this part. It's follow the example of Christ. But it's interesting. It's interesting that Paul starts this statement out with this, follow my example. Did you know that's what it means to make a disciple? Follow my example. The disciple-making part comes when you do your own part. And here's my question. Could someone get closer to you, pardon me, could someone get closer to Jesus by following your example? Could someone in your life see, get to know, and get closer to Jesus by following your example? That's the challenge for us this week. That's the challenge for us as believers after Easter. When we say, now what? 
That's what it looks like, becoming a better example so that we can look to someone around us and say, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And you know, we started today talking about the invitation that the disciples were approached with. And even though we're not fishermen along the bank rolling up our nets, Jesus still approaches every single one of us with a simple invitation. In Matthew 4.19, we said it already. He says this, come, follow me. Come alongside me and partner with me in this journey. I have incredible things to show you. And if you're in this place today and you've accepted an invitation, and maybe this is, this is hearing something new about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe for you that this is your second, third, fourth, sixth week or second month or sixth month here. And every time you come in this room, you're challenged, your heart has this knock, this encouragement that there's something bigger that you just haven't accepted yet. You know, we make time every week to make sure that you understand that you can simply accept the invitation. That is the starting point of a journey. When you begin the journey, are you expected to know everything? No. That's why the invitation is simple. Come follow me. So I want to offer that opportunity to you today. You know, when I was a teenager, I had a friend of mine invite me to a New Year's party at church. He invited me back for a Super Bowl party. I've been in a church practically every weekend since. Because it didn't take long until I felt that knock on my heart. That something just wasn't right. That I tried to do it my own way for far too long. If that's you, no matter where you are this morning, no matter what you're struggling with, the invitation is the same. So I want to encourage you this morning. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And the words are not magical. There's nothing magic in the words, but it's more about the open heart to say yes. So bow your head with me and say something like this. Say, Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I know that I have challenged you for too long. I know that as I hear you at the door saying, come, follow me, I know that today is the day that I have to decide for you. Lord, I ask that you forgive the sins that I have committed. Forgive me of all the wrong in this world against you and against the others that I know. Invade my heart right now and cleanse me and make me yours. I thank you for taking my sins upon you, for placing the whole weight of my sin on you on the cross and paying the price that I know I was supposed to pay. Lord, bring me on this journey with you. Help me as I begin my steps with you. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. If you've accepted that invitation today, that prayer, I want to celebrate you in this moment. And all of us want to celebrate the decision that you have just made. You know, for those that accept that decision, and if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. I've already talked about this morning how important it is that we want to place a gift in your hands. 
Because this gift, this gift that's broken down into five to ten minute uh, sections a day to read the Bible is important to beginning your walk with Christ. It is a beginning of a journey for you. And we as a church, we have this mission. This mission is to see you come to Christ and grow in Christ. When you make a decision for Jesus, we are not content in leaving you there. That will not happen at this church. We want to partner with you in that journey. So I want to encourage you first to go back and receive a gift from us to you. The second thing I want to make sure that you know is that we have an environment that we designed just for you. It's called Starting Point. And Starting Point is an environment designed, it's four weeks long. It's going to start in May, May 8th. And we have leaders here that want to provide an environment just for those of you who are new to this whole thing that we call Jesus. Because you realize that this is the start of a journey. And you're going to have some tough questions, some hard questions. Maybe you've been wronged in this life and you don't know how to process that and how you work with your faith. This environment's designed to allow you to ask the tough questions with people who are in exactly the same spot that you are. So I I encourage you, be bold for Jesus this morning. To step back at the tables, we've got volunteers in each corner of this auditorium that would love to place a Bible in your hands and get you connected with what you need to know about growing with us going forward. You know, what does it look like? What does it look like if we do these things that we've talked about this morning? What's it look like if, if we find a way to, to, to make time a priority with God? What's it look like when we surround ourselves with the right people? What's it looks like, what, what does it look like when we begin to have an open heart and serve other people? And your family, what's it look like? You moms and dads or grandparents, what's it look like when your kids and grandkids get out of bed and see you reading a Bible at the table in the morning? They see you differently. What's it look like at your job when you know there's a believer down the hall that may go to a different church and you know they're struggling with a family member who might have cancer? What's it look like? It looks like you going in and saying, hey, I heard you got a struggle. Can I pray with you? Students, if you're joining us here this morning, what's it look like when you find a way to honor your mom or your dad, to love on them in a way that maybe they wouldn't expect from you, a way that maybe they would look at you and say, what is wrong with you? I'll tell you what it looks like here. Every single seat in this auditorium is full every single week. Our small group registrations are in the thousands because people can't wait to get into a community and grow with each other. We'd never have to ask for one more volunteer in this church because we all would be surrounding the Next Steps kiosk in the lobby, finding a way that we can serve and plug the way God built us to serve others. That's what it looks like to do it right. And I will tell you, so many of us are on this journey and doing it well. I'm excited about what God is doing here at Emmanuel. Are you? It is an honor to share this room with you this morning. And I will be praying for all of you as we jump into this world this week to challenge us to do this in a way that works. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church body. I thank you for what you're doing here at Greenwood. I thank you for what you're doing at Banta. I thank you for what you're doing at Franklin and whatever community you have us to go to next. Lord, I'm excited to know that you have dedicated followers here. Lord, as we jump into our small groups and as we go into this world this week, I ask that you break down every single barrier there is for us to have time with you. 
I ask that you open our eyes to the believers around us that we can begin sharpening each other in our homes and in our workplaces, in this community, in our schools. Lord, I ask that you open those same eyes to those around us that need to be served, only using the way that you built us. Lord, I ask for safe travel for everybody here. I say, I ask for safe travel for our pastor as he comes home from Nicaragua. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Have a good week.